So you either adapt or you go get other work. I mean, like you're just no, you're not owed a career. Yeah. Like no, you know, you, 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 uh, it is incumbent upon artists, even great talented artists to also be smart yeah. and to also be tenacious and adaptive. And if you're not, you're just not owed a career. And unfortunately you're probably not going to make it. This is the Gently Mad, a show where I talk to and pick the brains of the smartest people running creative online businesses. Actually, not so much. If you're looking for that inspirational kick in the pants to help take your life and career to the next level, then this is probably not the place for you. To be perfectly honest, this podcast is about me. Hey, I'm Adam Clark and I'm your host. Thanks for listening. I do talk to people on this show, but instead of that double rainbow of success BS that you'll get in most entrepreneurial shows, we talk about failure, self-doubt, and all the insecurities that we all have that keep us from doing much of anything with our lives. If that sounds like your kind of thing, then head over to avclark.com slash TGM and subscribe. Any actionable advice or helpful tips are simply a byproduct and purely unintentional. How's it going, guys? This is the Gently Mad, episode eight. I'm Adam Clark. I'm your host. Thanks for listening. Ah, what a week. Hope you guys had a great Christmas. I had a good Christmas. It was pretty insane with family and friends in town. I'm kind of glad that it's finally back to normal, back to just the fam, the four of us here in the house, although I was glad to see everyone. I'm sure you're feeling a little bit the same way. I don't know if you're getting back to work this week or still have another week off, but either way, I hope you can take it easy for a little bit longer. It's been kind of a crazy week for me, personally. Lots of ups and downs, but just so much going on. I launched, or I guess I pre-launched my podcasting course for pre Okay, let me just start that whole sentence over. I made my podcasting course that I announced... A couple, I guess about two weeks ago, I made it available for pre-sale on Tuesday, which was two days before Christmas, the worst possible time to launch anything. But it's just, my expectations have been blown away. I had, in the last few days, I've had 91 pre-orders of the course and a lot of attention drawn to it. And it's it's been amazing. And I'm sure some of you guys who listen Also pre-purchased that course, so I just want to say thank you for that. I've got a lot of work ahead in creating this course, and I'm just really excited to dive in with those of you who have pre-purchased. I'm going to be doing some special stuff uh, just, just for us, just for our little group of people who have believed in this enough to go ahead and get in on it, and I'm excited to start doing some of that. So if you're into podcasting and and or want to start a podcast someday, go check out avclark.com slash course. You can still get in on the pre-order that won't end for a little while longer here. So do that if you're interested in that. Second, I just want to say thanks to everyone who has been leaving reviews and ratings and downloading the show. We finally made it into the main new and noteworthy category in iTunes. There's, you know, you can get into the new and noteworthy categories for each of your individual categories that your podcast is in, like business or technology or arts or whatever. And uh, we've been in those since the show launched, but literally a little over a week after launching, we're now in the main category of new and noteworthy for all of iTunes. 
and it's just so exciting. I, it, it helps other people find the show. Got almost 60 reviews in that amount of time as well, which has just blown my mind. Thank you so much for doing that. As I do, I like to read a couple of them here as a way to say thank you. And also, by the way, when you leave these reviews, feel free to leave your actual name and your URL linked to whatever it is that you do. Oftentimes, the iTunes username doesn't give me any clue to who you are. And, you know, I like to promote you if I can. So leave your name and, as I said, a link to who you are. An example of that is a review from a friend of mine, Omar Zenholm. He's got a great podcast called The $100 MBA Show which you should definitely check out. He said, Hey, Adam, great show. Thank you for doing your thing and producing an original show. I enjoy your episodes and wish you great success with the show. Well done, Omar. Thanks, Omar, for the review. I appreciate it. And those of you who are listening, if you like this show, you'll probably dig his show. It's a daily show, and it's easily digestible, and I really enjoy it. So go check that out. Here's one from another friend of mine, Brian Gardner who's the founder of Studio Press, which uh, you may or may not be familiar with. It's probably the largest and oldest WordPress theme shop on the internet. And he said, always enjoy what Adam puts together, and I'm a huge fan of his authenticity. Great podcast to listen to if you like people getting real. Highly recommended. Thanks for that, Brian. I do definitely appreciate it. And the last one for today is from Metacrawl, is the username... And uh, I really appreciated this one because it speaks to some of why I started the show. Metacrawl says, I've been looking for this, not knowing this is what I've been looking for. After trying podcast after podcast about self-improvement and entrepreneurship, I gave up. Those podcasts actually did the reverse for me. It made me feel less adequate than when I first went in. But this, this is what I've been looking for. Thanks to Product Hunt for pointing me to your site and finding the podcast. Thank you for being real and honest. I'm only in a few, but I can't wait to keep listening. I don't feel less adequate when I listen to your show. It's exactly what I need to bring in the new year. Thanks. Well, thanks, Metacrawl. That's exactly what I hope to do with the show. I agree with you. I'm kind of tired of all the bullshit entrepreneurial podcasts out there that just, as you said, make you feel inadequate, make you feel like it's impossible, like you're never going to be able to accomplish any of these things. And that was one of the whole reasons I started this show, because I wanted to talk about things that I thought that mattered. I don't want to talk about stuff like, you know, tips and tricks and hacks and whatever to build your list and grow your business so that you can make a million dollars overnight and retire early or whatever. Some of that advice does come through if you have listened to any of the previous episodes, but it's not the point of this show. The point of this is I want to talk to people about things that I think are important, things that matter to me, which tend to be more life-oriented, big-picture questions, like what does it all mean (laughs) to get pretty much as big picture as you can get. But I do talk about that through the guise or the lens, if you will, of entrepreneurship, So thank you so much for leaving those reviews. Please keep them coming. I'd love to make it all the way to the top of New and Noteworthy on the first page of iTunes. That would be amazing. I can't believe we've made it as far as we have in a little over a week. It's mind-boggling, but it's all due to you guys, so thank you. Just a heartfelt thank you for that. Um, 
One last thing to mention about the reviews. If you do feel like doing that, then I would suggest go through the contest. The contest that I'm running has still a few days left. It ends on the 31st, which is Wednesday. So two days left to get on that contest. But I'm giving away some pretty cool stuff. A free year to Fizzle, which is an amazing online community of entrepreneurs and business builders and thinkers. It's the best community I've ever been a part of. Typically, it costs $35 a month, and I'm giving away a year of it for free. Also giving away a 32-gig iPad Air. I'm giving away a one-hour JFDI coaching session with me. If you don't know what that stands for, then go to the website and find out. And a $100 Amazon gift card. So there's some cool stuff there to win. If you want to do me a favor and leave the review and rating, you might as well go through the contest. There's one extra step to go through the contest, but seriously, it'll take all of two minutes and you could win some cool some cool shit. So do that if you want to. Oh, uh, I haven't even started talking about today's guest. This is a little bit of a different show. This is the first music interview conversation thing. This is the first time I've had a musician on the show. Let's put it that way. And I, I didn't want this show to just be all entrepreneurs and business people. It's, it's going to be all sorts of people. And... Uh, today's guest, Derek Webb, is one of my all-time favorite musicians. He has been for, I mean, almost his entire career. I remember when uh, I first heard about him when he was with a band called Cabin's Call. It was like 20 years ago. And I have enjoyed everything he's done since then and followed along pretty closely. And I was just, I was just so, well, first of all, I was a little starstruck. I, I, I met him in person in Nashville a couple of months ago and we sat down and recorded this interview. So it's a little bit different than the typical interview in that it was in person, which was pretty cool, but I was a little starstruck in the conversation, so I didn't really talk that much. I kind of sat back and let him do most of the talking, which turned out to be a great thing because Derek has just a amazing insight into life and career and what it takes to make it. And I was blown away by how much the his career and experiences and insights as a musician correlate so well to what I do as an entrepreneur, an online business content maker kind of person. There's just so many direct ties. And it was just a fascinating conversation, sort of an insight into the music industry as it was and as it is now. But also, uh, there's a lot of great tie-ins to what what we do, what we do is online business people. And one of the things I love the most that Derek and I talked about was just this whole idea of being your own patron, you know, like subsidizing your own art, your own creations. If you want to make stuff for the world, sometimes it's really hard to make a living doing that thing unless you're willing to compromise it. So if you're willing to compromise it, then go ahead, compromise it and make a living from it. But if you don't want to do that, which I don't, and I don't think a lot of you do, if you go back to the first episode of this show and the second episode with Chase Reeves, we, we spent a ton of time talking about that. Like, how do you make a living doing something you love without compromising it, without wrapping it and a bunch of marketing bullshit. And I, I love Derek's take on that. And his take is that, you know, if he if he wants to make a living doing this, 
but can't without compromising it, then he's got to be his own patron. He's got to figure out a way to subsidize the creation of his own art. And went into that whole topic, kind of dove deep into that. And I thought it was fascinating. I think you will too. I'm really excited to get to it. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and I'll be right back with my conversation with Derek Webb after a brief word from our sponsor. One of my favorite things about less accounting is how much time it saves me. Okay, so what you do is you sign up for the app, you log in, you connect your bank account, your business bank account, and it automatically, automatically, if you will, tags all the expenses that it sees come through your business account, whether it's entertainment and meals or gas or purchases or bills or whatever Uh, there are there's they have this magic algorithm that just does all this tagging for you now it doesn't quite catch everything i have to go in about once a week and spend literally a few minutes and tag the remaining things that it, it couldn't find but the vast majority of things it just does it for me so I, I, I hate bookkeeping and I hate accounting and I don't have to do it because I use less accounting. I have, they don't pay me to say this. I've used them for years, long before I ever approached them about sponsoring this show. And the reason I did it was because I love the product so much. You would have to pay me to not use less accounting. So what I did was I, I called up a customer of less accounting and they didn't even know that I was recording or that this was going to be part of an advertisement for less accounting. And surprise, surprise, they actually had the same thing to say. Here's Jonathan. I like that it's easy to jump in and sort of tag, you know, all the, what's the word I'm looking for? The <laughs> the line items that come in, like from, from the bank. Um, it's, it's easy to jump in and either, you know, assign a payment to a client um, or, you know, to tag an expense as a category. Um, I can do that. I probably spend all of like 10 minutes a week doing that. You know, like it doesn't take very long at all. And it's and I don't have to deal with it at the end of the year if I do it in little chunks like that. And since it's synced up, like I just kind of log in and it's there and ready to go, which is nice. Jonathan's one of the owners of 47media.com. You can check it out. They're a small business. And as you can hear from that clip, he's also a family man. And I was glad to hear that he corroborated my exact experience with less accounting as well. So whatever you're using, stop using it and go check out lessaccounting.com slash TGM. They just try to help you run a better business. And I, I love it. It's great. I've never had a better experience, and I I could not recommend them more highly. Again, lessaccounting.com slash TGM. Less Accounting, accounting software for business owners who hate accounting. you're excited about this conversation with Derek Webb. I certainly enjoyed talking to him about all of this stuff. So enjoy, and I'll be back at the end to wrap things up.
2003, after a decade as a founding member of the Texas-based folk rock band Cademan's Call, Derek Webb stunned fans with the announcement that he was leaving the band to pursue a solo career. A bold and uncertain move for the then 30-year-old singer and songwriter proved to be a good one. I'm a dangerous crusader. Named for the last line of a 175-year-old hymn, Webb's first solo album was a critical success, and its provocative content set him on a course that has continued to shock and challenge his audience with each new release. I am a whore, I do confess, but you are just like a wedding dress, and I run down the aisle, run down the aisle. Derek Webb is my guest this week on The Gently Mad, and if his goal was to keep his audience guessing, then he certainly has succeeded. In 2009, he released Stockholm Syndrome, which was deemed too controversial for his record label to release. Undaunted, Webb released the album on his own website, and it has since become one of his most important pieces of work. Never content with the status quo, Webb again turned things upside down in 2007 when he founded the popular music website Noise Trade, which allows artists to release their music in exchange for an email address and a zip code. A model of distribution, Webb said, that has completely changed his career. A one and a two and a chick above my chick. He's gone on to release a series of well-received albums, including The Ringing Bell, which was number 27 on Pace Magazine's Top 100 Albums of 2007. And Derek was recently named one of Performing Songwriter Magazine's 100 Most Influential Independent Artists of the Past 15 Years. Now, the president of Noise Trade, Webb has decided to take a step back from performing and focus on the business side of the music industry. I think in the last couple of years, there's been a real sense within the company that that um, that this is kind of a moment for us that we need to pay attention and yeah. we need to really um, kind of steward the opportunity that we have really well because the the company has been growing. Um, really really well and um it just kind of under our noses it's you know and and uh so so anyway it was it, so i it was always a volunteer position for me you know yeah. i mean i mean i'm a co-founder i'm a co-owner but i'd never played uh any kind of a paid role or any kind of a official role i just you know was i just had my 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 hands in it all the time you know working with um our couple of guys who who were salary guys and and you're moving more into that kind of role now is what you're saying well so so i'm the president of the company now okay um, so i'm i it's it's since the beginning of this year i mean it's all i do full-time yeah so i it's a full-time salary role now and it has been since the beginning of the year so it's all i do um and um uh, yeah so so and for the, and i tried at the beginning of the year to uh run noise trade and also you know play some shows on the weekends mm-hmm. and stuff and it was just undoable it was just it, yeah it, because the because the work when you have so few people working on a company like ours um and especially with the 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 uh we have a we, we 
we're in a season of very ambitious growth. Like we're, we're really, um, you know, we've got our foot all the way down on the pedal right now. And, and yeah. we, we've been in, in like a really serious season of, of internal development, new products, just new, like we're, we're, we're going to really catapult out of the end of this year into next year with some really mm-hmm. new things. And, um, yeah, I was going to ask you like growing, what, what does that mean? Just like, uh, getting more artists into noise trade or like developing new revenue streams or new products or yes. what, what does that mean? Yes. And yes. And yes. Yeah. I mean, we're obviously always growing our, I mean, you know, our platform is free. Anybody can sign up. We yeah. probably add 30 or 40, you know, records a day that people come and upload. We probably yeah. add, you know, 10 or 20 books a day because we launched our book platform, um, maybe five months ago. No yeah. Books. So eBooks, audiobooks now. Um, so there's two kind of, um, pieces to the platform now. Um, and so we're always, um, I've got a great team, um, who are always, um, you know, pitching our model and have great long standing relationships with labels and management, big management companies yeah. and now publishers and, um, and artists, independent authors. So we're, we're always doing that kind of outreach and it's a very, that's a very relational side of our business. And so we're always going after great content. Um, and then also obviously accepting all content, you know, anybody can come and put anything up. Um, so, so there's that there's, um, you know, there's a reason why I named it noise trade and not, it's not music focused. Um, you know, that's, you know, we've moved into books now and I, I think we've got some more moves to make vertically like that, that I think our model would, benefit um other industries that are maybe behind uh the music market in terms of the effects of the digital disruption on the markets you know book publishing is arguably seven or eight years behind music in terms of the the timing of this this the disruption so yeah that's why it's been a great time for us to move into book publishing because they're just feeling what we were feeling you know half a decade ago yeah um so we we, so we've got solutions you know we've got that we can bring to 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 those folks and i think we've got some more moves to make like that we also are always adapting like music is still our primary market Mm -hmm. um you know we give away nearly half a million full albums a month every month Mm. um how do you make money um the, the the real asset that anyone gains from from um giving content away on noise trade is data. I mean yeah. like because you literally walk away with the email rela- lists with and the relationships. E- well, stuff, email yeah. and zip code, man. I mean yeah. that I make more money giving records away for free than I made selling records the old way. But but the thing is like that is th- that is the adaptation to kind of what where the market is and where it is going that is out of anyone's control. Yeah. So you either adapt or you go get other work. I mean, like yeah. you're just no, you're not owed a career. Like no, you know, you, 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 uh, it is incumbent upon artists, even great talented artists to also be smart yeah. and to also be tenacious and adaptive. And if you're not, you're just not owed a career. And unfortunately you're probably not going to make it. Yeah. So you really have to get smart and you have to run it like a small business, which is what it is. Yeah. Um, and you have to make smart decisions, you know, and, and, um, and noise trade is trying to provide somewhat of an education in that because, um, you know, our, I mean, my career changed overnight, you know, when I, when I, when, when I kind of made the shift to just trying to take anonymous pennies for record sales, yeah. um, to really putting the focus on making meaningful connections with fans directly and getting data email zip code anything i could get from them in order to have a direct relationship with them right it 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 changed everything and 
So, but but in terms of how noise trade makes money, I mean, you know, we have again, so we've got a half million, you know, full records going out the door every month. We've got about a million and a half people on an email list who we speak to about three times a week. Mm. Um, and we've got a Tuesday Thursday music email that goes out. We've got a Saturday Digest email that goes out. We got a Wednesday books email that lists about one hundred twenty thousand. It's small but growing fast. Yeah. Um, and then maybe once a month or so, we do an additional email based on genre. Like we've got a huge Christian gospel contingency in our in our tribe. Yeah. And so we will send them, spe- you know, Christian gospel content specifically that we've got up on the site that's really good. Yeah. And then and, and we're kind of expanding that into other genres like hip hop and uh, right. Um, you know, and so. Um, so for us, you know, the, uh, you know, you know, we've got that said, you know, we wind up with, you know, you know, two, three, four million people a month coming through the site. Yeah. And so, uh, but we don't sell anything to anybody. Yeah. You know, there's nothing for sale on North mm-hmm. Trade, you know, and other than tips, no money's exchanging hands anywhere. So obviously advertising, you know, just attention, mm-hmm. we can leverage that for a little bit of revenue. Right. And... Um, at least our, the way our current model works, you know, these emails that we send out, um, our people trust us, you know, the people who get noise trades emails, we can tell by their response to them that they really trust us. We've worked really hard to curate the content in those emails. Yeah. Um, so we don't put just anybody in our emails, you know, uh, our average email has like one primary feature, one big artist, you know, somebody we're really pushing one secondary. And then we've got these like you know, six or eight new and notable artists who are kind of fe- people we feel like are awesome kind of coming up. Yeah. And, but those are all paid spots. Um, mm. Like, you know, you, because we're putting you in front of a million and almost a half people. Yeah. Um, and it'll drive because our people trust us because we've so carefully curate. That'll drive thousands of downloads for anybody mm. just being in our email. Yeah. Uh, and you can use thousands of uh, emails and zip codes to, you know, like it, it, we've got all these great stories of people who, you know, will do, um, you know, one campaign like that with that, like that with us in an email. And then on the first email they send to their new list with any kind of action to come and engage or spend money, they more than make up what, you know, the, yeah. they double what they, you know, on the first email they, they make back their investment. Yeah. Um, and then you go back time and time and time again, because now you found your tribe that they, they can't wait to support you. Just give them opportunities to, you can directly connect with them. You're not letting go of money as it's passing through iTunes, passing through every other one of these different places where people are taking their percentages out. In a way, it's almost like there's more of an opportunity. There's never been a better model. time yeah. ever to be, um, an independent artist. Yeah, that's that's you what, what I mean? say. You have more. It seems like there's more opportunity now to kind of take hold of the reins yourself mm-hmm. and make a career out of well, it. Well, the the shift, you know. So a lot of people people like to talk a lot about all the negative effects of the disruption that happened yeah. with Napster and all that stuff, but not a lot of people really think much about what's better. And 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 um, because even though like I don't, it, it doesn't. Um, I I I take no pleasure from the idea that people lost their jobs and that it was, you know, that it, I mean, it was a huge disruption. It was a, it yeah. was a, it was, it was a bloodbath for a while, you know, when, uh, when the digital disruption started in, in music, no one was prepared for it. Um, but also industries where that happens, um, disruption happens in every industry yeah. and it usually happens for a reason. And if, if there aren't inefficiencies and if there aren't blind spots, then there's no opportunity for disruption. The opportunity for disruption in music was giant. Mm-hmm. And that's because of the way that the music business had been run for a long time. It just, it was, you know, yeah. so, but having said that here on the other side of the, of the, of the disruption from which there is no going back, right. you know, um, 
now we have all the tools democratized. So anybody, you know, can get access to tools to make records and to distribute records and to promote records and um, to tour and to sell tickets and all the things that were behind the gates before are now available. And the, but the problem is now, you know, it used to be that you're the, the, the enemy or the, you know, the thing you were afraid of was, um, was scarcity. They're just, they're, they're, you, that you couldn't, you couldn't, you had no access. Like you, there, there was, there was almost no music in the market. It was just whatever was coming yeah. through all the conventional channels. It was like, here are these eight bands, pick one that you like. <laughs> um, and you, there were kind of, it's, you know, no one knew about any other. I mean, it was really hard to break into that market. Yeah. Now the problem, um, is, uh, obscurity because there's so many there's just it's it's over it's just there's a flood of bands and content and it's just really hard to find what you what you like you know but i mean you know having said i mean so really what happened though and again this is this to me is the is the positive effect and i think you're going to see this as a positive effect in book publishing and i think there's other um industries like these where you're going to see this same effect but um is that before, you know, 10 or 15, 20 years ago in, in the music business, there was like the professional class and there were amateurs and there was no in-between. So either you were signed to a major record label, you were on MTV, you were touring, yeah. you were on the radio, or you were an amateur, you were a hobbyist, right. basically. And there was kind of no way to make a living any other way. So everybody mm-hmm. were all salmon swimming upstream trying to get into the head of the sales curve, trying to get as close to or into the head of the sales curve where the most records are being sold. There's very few artists who get in there, but yeah. everybody, all the whole, the market, everything was focused on trying to get everybody in there. So everybody's spending exorbitant amount of money. Everybody's There's only one marketing plan, and it's swim upstream into the head of the sales curve. That's the only way you could, that's the yeah. only way you could do it. And, and then when the disruption happened – everything shifted and suddenly the tools, everybody, everybody could make records. Everybody could distribute records, everybody. And then what happened was there were fewer records being sold. So the head of the sales curve is not as tall as it used to be. It'll always be there. The hit, the the hit market will always exist. There'll always be hits in every market always. But the, the amount of records being sold at the head of the sales curve are fewer than they've ever been. And there's fewer artists in there. It's re it's on, you're almost an anomaly now to sell those kind of records. Yeah. But then what happened is, the part that no one ever was ever paying any attention to is the whole market now, which is when the head of the sales curve, when the, when, when the, when it, when it drops like this steeply, but then it curves out and then there's this, there's this tail, you know, mm-hmm. at, at behind the head yeah. of the sales curve that just goes on forever. And that used to be so skinny that no one even saw it there. Yeah. Like they didn't even, it just looked like it dropped and, and it was at zero. That's not true. It, it was always there, but now Rather than being a hit-driven market, we're like a niche-driven market. We're, in, we're a market of 100,000 little niches now yeah. and little micro-tribes of bands, bands that don't sell more than five or 10,000 records. But if you smack them all together and push them together, the total records that that market is set, that that part of the, the, ta- you know, the, the, the curve is selling is like two, three, four times the total amount of records as the hit yeah. uh, market now. Mm-hmm. So. All of the focus is now all the services. Everything is now focused on the tail. Right. So it's and it's big and fat and robust. And there's all that. So that so it's like there's finally a middle class. There's finally a blue collar living to be made as an artist. You can. It's you're you're not making a um, million dollars. You know right. you're not a household name. But hardly anybody is anymore. But you can yeah. make a great living, a great blue collar, sustainable blue collar living playing music. You just have to take it seriously. You have to. It's hard work. 
like any other job. So if what you want is fame and fortune, that was never really the advertisement. Yeah. That was never real. <laughs> I mean, even the people who were famous and looked rich weren't. I mean, yeah. they might have been famous, but it was it was a mess. Like that that was a. I mean, you know, go watch VH1 behind the music, a couple of those episodes, and you'll see what a mess that was back then. Yeah. But, um. I mean, but, fame and fortune didn't solve all the problems. Obviously. Right, but it was also never real. It was never a thing that was really happening. It was something that, you know, people uh, paid for to put in videos. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as the video was over, the guy's getting back into his Toyota and driving back <laughs> to his little crappy apartment. Yeah. But the but the point being, it's real work you can do. Yeah. Like, no one can stop you from doing it now. Before, you could be stopped. I mean, you just, there, there just was an opportunity for everybody. Right. But now, no one can stop you. Well, so now, if you want to go do it, just go do it. Like you're saying, yeah, the, the, the barrier to entry is thing. so much lower. You know, anyone who right. wants to, anyone who has something to say can say it, you know. But in a way, there's a little bit more pressure now to um, be good, you know, because... <laughs> Ironically, <laughs> yeah, like... Because anyone can do it now, you right. have to, if you want to stand out, you have to actually... Right, which you know, which really should have always and should always be... The criteria. Yeah. I mean, what I always say to people when I'm talking about um, kind of how to maneuver in the market, how to be smart about how to run your business and how to blah, 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 blah. the thing that always comes back to is th- those are rules number two through ten. Yeah. Rule number one is be great. Right. <laughs> and you can't break rule number one. Right. If you break rule number one, it doesn't matter how good you are at rules number two through ten. It just doesn't matter. It doesn't right. matter what a good social networker you are. It doesn't matter what a great how smart you are about all the new digital tools. It doesn't matter how up you are and all that stuff. It doesn't matter what a great entrepreneur you are. If you break rule number one, it, the rest of it just doesn't matter. Yeah. And and that's kind of the best part because it used to be that you didn't have to be great. Yeah. You you could be mediocre or horrible, but no one no one had no one would find out until it was too late. You know, like they would do these huge marketing, multi-million dollar marketing campaigns sure. with videos and all this crap that they're doing to lead up and all this. And then by the time the record actually comes out and anybody actually hears it or by the time that that person winds up on a TV show and you actually hear them singing their song, you mm-hmm. hear them actually performing it and you realize that they're horrible and totally not talented and can't yeah. sing their way out of a wet paper bag and it's too late. Like that's the, actually the end of the cycle. That's right. the end of the marketing. That's the end of the career. Yeah. By the time you actually hear the record people buy them up by the millions because of the incredible huge multi multi-billion dollar marketing campaign yeah and to and no access but now there's youtube mm-hmm. and now there's i mean like you're gonna find out like you, you're gonna get found out if you're yeah. not if you're not really good you're just gonna get found out and it's just not gonna work you could yeah. make you used to be able to make it work you could fool people and actually that was the business like fooling people was the business as long as you could get their money yeah and you could get them to buy up a bunch of million records and then once they once once the once the boy band or whatever it is winds up on a tv show and everybody or winds up having to do a show somewhere and anybody sees in their lives well these guys suck you know it's like it's yeah. horrible well it's over but we'll think, guess what we already got your money and right. we've already got the next thing queued up for you that we're now going to convince you is great yeah um you know and then but that was the cycle now yeah, it's totally changed. And yeah. that's why the major labels have had a really hard time adapting because they would sign 10 artists that were almost none of them very good and they would put a little bit of money into all 10 and as long as one of the 10 popped and something happened, the money they would make from the one would subsidize all the others. All the others. Yeah. And the, re- the rest of them would just get dropped and who cares, get shelved. And But these are all... You know, I mean, arguably artists who this was their dream and, you know, the labels were just playing the numbers like retail. They're just yeah. like, well, let's just throw a little money at 10 things. And if two of them, something really happens, 
then that'll just break us even on all the rest. Yeah. And who, I mean, who cares? Like we're just, if they're human beings, we're just going to feed them through the, <laughs> feed them through the machine. Yeah. So it's different now. Yeah. Like you actually, you're, you're actually, you lead with, because of the access being what it is, you lead with the quality, right. you lead with the content. That's the first thing you find out about somebody. Yeah. Are they good? And that's, the, that's kind of, again, comes back to noise trade. That's what we've said since the beginning. Like a great record is its own best marketing tool. Yeah. Like rather than somebody hearing about and seeing ads about and hearing buzz about and hear whatever about how great somebody is. Let's just hear the record. Like, are you good or not? Yeah. And let me judge that. Let me judge the art and let that be your best piece of marketing. Stake everything on the music. Yeah. Like, put that out there. Give people no reason to not listen to it. And free is a pretty great, a pretty great, right. uh, you know, reason. And then if it's great, and if and if and if if it's great and um, it resonates with a particular audience, and you found you find that tribe. Well, now you're off to the races. That now your career starts. Yeah. Now you're in business because now you found people who love and resonate with and, and are therefore going to support what you do. Yeah. And if you can find those people, you don't need many of those people. Yeah. You know, like you don't. You don't need many of those people to have a great career. Right. And that's how you find them. You lead with the with the content. And so it's it's, it's a total flip from what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is a pretty big uh, shift for you, right? I mean, you've been. For the last 20 years or more, maybe. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's been uh, music and albums and touring. And even mm -hmm. though you were doing noise trade, so now you're doing noise trade full time. Mm -hmm. Is this like, are you saying like, this is my future or at least temporarily? Or are you yeah. are you out of it? Or, or what are you saying? Ah, I mean, you know, there's no, there's no getting out. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I mean, the but thing is. You're not touring now? I, you're, you're, no, you no, know, no. I, I, I have not. I, I'm no, I mean, I, the, the only time i've played any music was a couple weeks ago um brought to cashmere who are very old friends of mine like i've known those guys for 15 years yeah and um they've got a new they're working on a new record and they're back on the road and so they came through nashville and they were playing a show and and steven delopolis and i are pretty good friends and and we were just talking the day before they were coming to town about hanging out and then he just kind of offhand on a text said something about hey you should come open the show and i was like oh man that's that's there's no way I'm going to do that. Yeah. And uh, but then he but he you know he persuaded me. So I played a set opening for them and it was just for fun. And but that's as close as I've come. Like I'm I'm I just I need to focus right now. You know, like it's really hard to do both. Well, what um, made you decide when you had to decide one or the other mm -hmm. um, to pick the business to noise well, trade? Well, it's no. a handful of things, and and not the least of which is as you said, I've been in this job for twenty plus years. I mean, yeah. we started Cademan's in '92. Yeah. You know, and then that was 10 years in that band and I've been 10 years solo. That's 20 some odd years, you yeah. know, like, and it's a long time. And, th and there are things about this business that are kind of a little bit of a young man's game. Mm -hmm. You know, I turned 40 a couple of months ago and, um, I don't, I don't feel like I can't do the work and I still really love the work and I love the grind. I love the blue collar aspects of this job. I love it actually. Mm -hmm. And I don't, and I've loved being no bigger than I've ever gotten. Like, in fact, I've, my career has been a cycle of self-sabotage to keep myself low to the ground like I, I i can't take the risks i have felt like i've needed to take in my career if i'd been any more popular than yeah. i've been so it's been perfect like i'm not dissatisfied in any way with um anything like that it almost seems like with some of your albums or some of the it's almost like you're you're uh you're you're, you're daring your audience to like you you know it's yeah like, that's, that's well it's put. like, it's like yeah. you put something out there and it's like but oh also, you like me oh oh, oh try this on try this on yeah. <laughs> yeah see if you like me now, and if this you doesn't know? get you i'll get you next time around <laughs> Yeah, that I mean, yeah, I th I, that's that's fair. Um, but like the thing for me is that 
it you know you go through when you do it for this many years you just find that that there there are seasons to a job yeah like this and and i've had see i've had ups and downs and i've had commercial ups and downs creative ups and downs i've had you know years that were harder for me to kind of find my voice and perspective on yeah. certain issues i've had other years where i have felt very you know you know almost like it was a mission you know like i knew exactly what i needed to do exactly what i needed to say and how to say it and that stuff it's you know it 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 those are seasons you go through over a lot of years yeah. but i definitely started to feel probably after probably just after i put out my second to last record so the control record right. and the soul of me accompanying ep that was i'm going to say easily the creative high point of my personally for me in my career mm. um i'm never going to do better than that i'm not i'm never i'm not going to ever do better than those records in terms of the 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 uh, the writing the focus the production how how closely to the center of the bullseye i hit what i was aiming for yeah. um and i was super super proud of that work but it took me you know, more than two years to conceptualize, write, record, release, all that stuff. Yeah. It was super ambitious. The most ambitious thing I've ever done ever control. creatively, control was. Yeah. And Solo Me is connected to it very intimately. So right. I really put them together, them together. Yeah. as one kind of project. But, and I think at the end of, but at that time I was kind of coming off Stockholm Syndrome, which was a real high point commercially for me. Yeah. And I was basically, whenever that happens, and it's only happened a few times where I've kind of, I get kind of a bump in the market. Um, and it's pretty, usually pretty mysterious and something I didn't plan or expect. I usually look at it like an allowance that I can spend. Yeah. So now I've got some people paying attention. So now what do I want to say? Yeah. And I usually take that pretty seriously. And I spent so long coming up with and conceptualizing control that I actually had to put out a boutique record in between just to get people to not forget that I was alive, which was the feedback record. But, um, and that was, you know, uh, fun, but not a proper release. And then I finally got to control. It had been, you know, three years or four years. I don't remember what between mm-hmm. Stockholm and, and control. But I think I was just so exhausted at the end of those projects. I was just creatively. I was so, but it'd be, it was, it'd be like being at the end of, you know, a triathlon. I was exhausted, but it was just like the best kind of exhausted because yeah. I knew I had done, you know, in my estimation, I'd done the best work of my life. Like yeah. I just, I, I had, it was a great feeling. But then the problem was the record, because it's so ambitious and strange and so highly conceptual, it's all house and no door. Like you just can't, it's hard to get into that record. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's hard to know how to find your way in to the point where you could really care about it the way I care about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a, it's a narrow access, to, you know, record. It's a high concept album. Um, so, but it's the album I wanted to make. Yeah. And but people just don't have like there, there's very little attention currency available out there. Yeah. People just don't have it, which I understand, you know, and that record requires a lot of attention currency, a lot. The few people who I have talked to and run into who spent the kind of time required mm-hmm. into those projects to really get into it and see what was there yeah. l- really resonated with it and reacted to it um, in a way that was very encouraging to me and felt like very much like how I feel about those records. But most people, just couldn't do it you know what i mean well, i don't is, and i don't regret it but people just couldn't do it and so as a yeah. result you know the record just hit the market like a rock you know it just it, it, you know what are you going to do you know yeah. i it just, and so i'd spent years and years on it i went out and tried to tour it 
And it was just all very hard because if the record itself, you know, that's what really sets the pace. It's like the pace car out in front. You get the record out there and then you book the tour behind it and there's a momentum and you, you hope to spend a couple of years with a record on the road and you, you know, that, yeah. and, and I mean, I just, it wasn't work. It wasn't happening. And, and it was, it was discouraging, but it was also like, it caused me because I'm tenacious. Um, I basically didn't want to, I wasn't going to let that stop me. Yeah. Um, so but at this point, I had been nonstop. I had been in my studio producing either my records or my boutique records in between, things like Feedback uh, and Soul yeah. Me, or producing records for other artists, um, doing remix work. I had been in the, the, ch- the production chair in my studio every day I was home and not on the road, literally every day, almost without a day or meaningful days yeah. off. For like more than five years at that point. Yeah. I was just a rat in the studio. I was pale. You know, I just I never came outside. And then I would, and, and, and the, so there was a lot of output. Yeah. Heavy output over a long period of time. And I just couldn't, it was really hard. I, I was really looking forward to a break. Like I yeah. was going to tour control. Then I was going to just take a break and take a breather. And, but then you released another and album. I, and, cause, and I, cause I couldn't take the breather because <laughs> the thing I had spent two years of my life on hit the market and dropped. Yeah. And it was either, I mean, and th- those are those moments where you're like, okay, well, do you want to live or do you want to die? Yeah. And my answer is always, I want to live. So um, I was coming up around the 10-year anniversary of my first record. I had planned, like, wa- wanting to do something kind of special for that. So I got it, planned a little tour where me and a buddy of mine who played on that record helped me produce it, you know, all those years ago. We went out and played the whole record every night, did a little tour of, little She Must Shall Go Free tour where we kind of, mm-hmm. you know, kind of celebrated that record and played it. And it was really fun. Um, but basically... Like, I remember the second week of the control tour, which was just humiliating. I mean, it's just, mm. you know, people just not showing up because people really? didn't get people didn't get the record. I mean, some shows were great. You know, some mm-hmm. some towns were great. But but all the towns in between that normally you can kind of bring people out. There just weren't people because they hadn't they weren't connect. They hadn't connected with the record. They, you know, so they weren't, they weren't, they, who they, wants to come see a tour based on a record that you've not you haven't heard or don't really care about or don't understand. So people just aren't yeah. going to come. And um and and the tour was as ambitious as the album. I mean, it was like dinner theater. I was literally because oh, really? the, because the the record is a narrative. It's yeah. a fictional. It was based on a fictional narrative that I wrote, and it's a three act narrative. And so I was literally reading along, like reading bits, connective bits of the story in between every song. We played straight through the control record every night, and I was reading. You know, it was like it was like it was like seeing a movie. But mm-hmm. we were I was singing you the soundtrack and, and reading bits in between to pull you along in the story. I mean, it was very strange, you know. I mean it was not people were puzzled in a good way. I mean that's well, what do I you do. Think, do you think maybe that you were almost um you know, actors get typecast? I mean, do you think maybe um <clears throat> you kinda uh people expected a certain thing out of you, especially after Cavemans and then after she she must and shall go free, like um your audience kind of uh wanted that from you. And, and yeah, so but when you showed Shemus up to do Shago different Free things, had been ten years previous, you know. Right. So, and I'd put out a lot of records in between that I yeah. think were had set precedents for kind of what my voice was, yeah. is. And so I don't know that that could be true. And I think maybe I've always dealt with that a little bit because I like I like pushing people. But the point is, like I I remember there like in the second week of the Control Tour and kind of seeing the writing on the wall, just knowing I'm not going to be able to tour this for six months yeah. I'm just, I'm, it, it, it's just not going to happen it's not going to sustain because people just aren't getting the record they don't yeah. get it and and so that muscle kicked in that survival instinct kicked in and i started writing uh started writing again which usually usually it's a good year yeah 
after I release a record before that that writing that creative instinct kind of kicks kicks in and I start writing and again. And this happened right away. And, and it was literally within weeks of the release I was writing again. Yeah. And by the time I had spent not even a month on the road touring control, I literally had another album written. And it was and it, and it was very because I found an idea. And I yeah. need idea. I'm an idea person, so I need ideas. But the idea was I want to imagine if I was so 10 years after my first record came out, a lot of things are the same. A lot of things change in 10 years. What, what, you know, and, and, uh, and I think a lot of people felt like I had changed some fundamental things sure. over the years, maybe in my beliefs and other things, which really isn't true. Um, but so I was just curious, like what would happen if I was to kind of go at writing my first record again, but 10 years later, what would mm-hmm. the song, like what would that record look like if I was going at it from that same kind of spirit? And and so it was, and it was, it was an engaging idea for me. It was an interesting idea for me, and it pulled songs out. Yeah. And I came home from that tour, kind of defeated, you know, and was just like, "Well, do I want to live or do I want to die?" And I decided I wanted to live. So I got <laughs> back in the studio, yeah. and I made it. I kicked out another record really fast. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, so so that was kind of how I. You know, you know, and which was hard on me creatively. Um, yeah. I mean, because I was exhausted, you know, of it. But um, I don't regret the record. I think it was a really odd move in my discography. But I kind of, that's kind of my only real criteria when Your I go to make a record. Your last record was the odd move? I was wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I, I wouldn't have seen that record coming. That was not the direction I was going. Right. Um, I was moving further left yeah. in terms of. And, and which, which is always an instinct for me. And I, and I, and that's, that's my instinct period. But for this one moment, it felt like, here's the thing, what I was going to say is like my only criteria when I am thinking about what I want to do next, like when I finally get a record out and it's behind me and now I'm taking a a moment and I'm imagining what's next for me, what do I want to do next creatively? And my only criteria really is that I want it to be compared to what I've done previously. I want it to be highly ironic. I want it to be something that that you're not going to see coming. Right. And if you go and back and look at all my records, you will find that that holds very true. Like my first record was an unlikely debut record. It didn't get carried in a lot of Christian retail yeah. for content and for language and for it was not a likely debut album. I don't think people yeah. saw that coming from me after Cademan's. And then though, my second record was like a deconstructive experimental right. rock record that was a very strange move after my first. And then I put out Mockingbird, which is like highly you know, kind of political, yeah. you know, very polarizing. And that was really the first record where I feel like I found my voice. I really yeah. figured myself out. It seems that way. And I would agree with you that each of your albums, like I said, it's just, they do kind of like, um, you have no idea what to expect. What's right. going to happen this time. But I guess I feel like with um, the first one, with She Must and Shall Go Free, it's almost like you could feel things uh, building up you know, in in the last few Cademan's records and things you'd written, things you'd said, you know, it was almost like you came out of that and it was just like unloading, you know, unloading all the things that you'd wanted to say and that it built up. And so in a way, like I, in a way, like I I listened to that album and I was like, you know, this is um, like, I just, it felt like a a deep breath. Like, you know, finally this, this is what he's been trying to do. Yeah. I I mean, I had some unpaid bills and I, and I had, I needed to clear the decks a little bit, you know, and I needed to get some of that out. Yeah. And then I feel like my second record, I see things upside down was really kind of creatively clearing my throat a little bit because then I was like, I don't want to, I'm not, I don't want to be like 
um, like I don't listen to acoustic music. Yeah. Like that's what I've made a lot of, but by that time it wasn't really what I was into. So I was like, I need to set a precedent now that people, people are not going to know what to expect from sure. me from a production standpoint. So I need to do something very deconstructed yeah. so that the next record, which might end up being Mockingbird, I can do whatever I really want to do. Yeah. And then Mockingbird came out and I, you know, felt very at liberty to make that record the way I wanted to, and having to give no consideration to bring nothing with me from my past, to yeah. give no consideration to anything that I felt I needed or had to do in order to pacify my audience, what they were expecting from me. Yeah. And then, you know, um, ringing bell which is you know i was trying to remake revolver basically mm-hmm. you know and and then stockholm syndrome which nobody i don't think expected and then control i mean i and the thing about i uh, i was wrong is even though i wouldn't i'll never make another album like that um i don't regret having made it mainly because well because there there are songs that i'm glad i wrote that i needed to get out you know those mm-hmm. are there's some important songs some of those songs are very important to me um but it meets my criteria. It was a, the most super ironic move. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody saw, you know, um, another album about and for the church coming yeah. 10 years later. Um, so I liked where it kind of stood in my discography, but I, I, I if my career is predicated on m- continuing to make records like it, yeah. then I, then, then, uh, that's just not a job I well, want. What, what is it that drives you, you think to continually, um, um, trying to think how to put it like you, uh, I know that you have, there, there are, there are artists who, um, you know, they find their thing mm-hmm. and they do that thing mm-hmm. and they just release the same album over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then there are artists who, um, are like, um, uh, they have something to say, you know, like you're one of those guys who it's like, it's very clear that you have something to say, you know, in every album you're trying to say something and mm-hmm. you don't really care, you know, whether or not people like it or are comfortable with it or whatever. You have something that you're, you have a message you're trying to get across. You're not just trying to make music for top 40 radio or mm-hmm. whatever. So um, what is it that, you know, um, drives you to always, um, you know, uh, feel like you do have to kind of be a contrarian a little bit. Is mm-hmm. that, am I interpreting sure. that right? Where you feel like you need to, I think it's a combination of things. Guessing, yeah. Yeah. Know? No, that's, a, that's I, I understood. So I, I feel like it's a, it's a handful of things. One is probably nature and one's probably nurture. Like mm-hmm. I feel like for very basically, I'm just wired that way. Yeah. I'm just, that's just how I'm wired. I'm just, I'm, I'm contrary, you know? I mean like I'm wired for disruption yeah. and Every guy in the conversation who's always going to disagree just for the sake of maybe, it. Maybe, you know, maybe, I mean, or, j- yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, and I'm older now, so I'm not quite the bull in the China shop I was when I was in my 20s, let's yeah. say. But it's a fundamental part of how I look at the world. Like, if you look at anything I've ever done or been a part of, even into the businesses that I've been a part of, I mean, even look at Noise Trade. I mean, that's a highly disruptive yeah. um, business that we're running over there. So, um, that's just part of everything I do. It's just how I see things. I, 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 I'm, I squint my eyes and I see the potential for disruption. Yeah. I see the questions that no one is asking and I want to ask them. I see, I just see that stuff. That's how I'm wired. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I can't not do it. But also, um, I think I learned to do it and maybe, maybe, maybe it, maybe it just amplified or helped bring it out in me, um, what was already there. But all the bands and artists who I've loved and and really resonated with and really gravitated towards were bands who who did this. Yeah. So I think of um, I think of you too. 
So when you two made Joshua Tree, and it was just this giant eclipsing success that it was just Mm -hmm. an anomaly, it was so big. And what everybody wanted, any band in their right mind would have camped out on that sound for the rest of their career. It just would have, (laughs) it would have been a money tree in their backyard. Yeah. And Coldplay, I think, is an example. I think Coldplay is a great band, but they took the other path. I think they found a sound and they just stuck with it. Yeah. So if you like a Coldplay record, you're going to like them all. Right. Because they, they, they have like that innovation in that particular way has never been a huge, um, concern for them that's not like anything that means very much to them i mean it's not that they don't innovate but it's micro innovation versus right. macro mm-hmm. and so they've never like completely reinvented themselves like yeah. literally like you know what i love bono's quote about what they did after joshua tree success when they went to berlin to make what wound up being octung baby um which to me st- is a record that still sounds like it's from the future yeah like when i put that record on it still sounds it's more than 20 years old it still sounds like it's from the future, like that it's that that record was made in a time where we've not yet arrived. Yeah. Um, there's only there's a very few records around that have ever been made that are like that. Um, you can name them on one hand. But when he when they went to make that record, Bono said that that, that Octung Baby is the sound of four men chopping down the Joshua tree. Um, yeah. They were dismantling and uh, and they were and, and basically leaving ever like bringing nothing with them. There being no presumption about what they would bring with them other than themselves, yeah. their perspectives, their point of view, their voice, you know, and I, I, and I, th- I just loved that move. And the thing is, that's, I mean, l- I mean, arguably like we'll see when the ne- when the new record comes out, if, if they're, I was about to say, you know, they're, they're still one of the most relevant bands in the world. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think they, they might still be, I, the jury's out. Um, so yeah. let's see when the new one comes out. Um, they're, they're, they're uh, it's time for another big innovation for yeah. them just like it was time when Octoon Baby came out because they had kind of done some records in a similar style up until the big success of Joshua Tree yeah. and then they spent three years making experimental records which are easily my favorite of all their records Octoon yeah. Baby's Europa Pop and now they've been in a, in a three album cycle which is how they typically do it making records that are in the style of uh, of kind of their current iteration which is you know All You Can't Leave Behind right. Atomic Bomb and No Line of the Horizon which is not my favorite period for them but um, let's see what happens next. But the yeah. point being, here we are talking about them, what, 30 years later, yeah. 30, 35 years later? And that's because they have innovated. You know, they have, they've pushed and they've pulled and, and the Beatles did that, mm-hmm. man. Who in the world were the Beatles making albums for? I mean, like the, other than themselves, it was incredible. Yeah. If you, you look back and you look at the time in the '60s when they were when they were doing some of that, when they were making the Magical Mystery Tour and Peppers, and I mean that those records, especially to me, Magical Mystery Tour. Although some people would argue it's a collection of singles, but I, I see it as an album. It's some of the most innovative. It's, that record sounds like it's from the future yeah. to me. I mean, Radiohead has done this. Um, you know, Wilco has done this. No one wanted Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. They have continued to innovate over the years. Yeah. And that is, that's what makes those bands relevant. That's what, that's, that's like what keeps them relevant and keeps them, um, progressing. And so for me, I was, that's who I resonate with. That's when I, when I look at my favorite bands, it's not bands who make the same record over and over again. It's bands who, who innovate. Yeah. And I resonate with that innovation. I, I, I resonate with that restlessness. Yeah. And that wanting to always look around that next corner and not being afraid to take the jump if you can't take anything with you. And so is that kind of what you're doing now, except not into another album, into a different, you know, different career, not a completely different mm-hmm. career, but you know what I mean? You know? Yeah. I think for me, you know, and, 
and well done bringing us back around to a, a question that yeah, I think you asked at some point, but <laughs> you know, after 20 yeah. years in this yeah. and just the, just the broad fatigue and just being at that point, you know, that being at the end of a certain season in my professional kind of music career where I was like, you know, like it's time for a little, di- a little disruption of my own. Yeah. Um, like, I, I love this. I love the work and I'll always do it. Always. You yeah. can't stop me from doing it. It's just the, it's just the bottom line. You just can't stop me because I, I mean, I own this, I own my studio. Yeah. I, I can make records for $0. So right. money is the only thing that would prohibit me. And it doesn't, I can, you know, like on, on, I was wrong. I mean, over the years I, I progressively, um, did more, I was, did more and more and more and more, um, in terms of the, the instrumentation and the production. Right. And, and, and I was wrong. Um, was almost like I wanted to prove to myself I really could do it really totally alone. I mean, I played all the instruments on the record. I produced it and engineered it. I did everything but mix that record. Hmm. Um, other than a couple of buddies of mine who did a few things I just can't do. Like uh, like I did a day of strings with Ben Shive. And uh, so we did some string on a couple songs. And that was um, that was incredible. And then uh, my buddy, Will Sales, who's a drummer, you know, we did a day of big, huge giant drums and things that I mm-hmm. just wanted that energy on. It was a particular track. I really, yeah. other than like those couple of things, I, it was, you know, like, so I can, I can get on my laptop, I can get in my studio and I can just may, I can, I can keep making records Yeah. and, and I know how to distribute them. I know how to, you know, promote and market them. I mean, I, I know how to do it. So I'll always do it. Yeah. And I'll, and, and, um, um, I feel like there's a but coming though. Like you, you will always do this. This is something you can always do, but like maybe not in the same way you've done it before. Or uh, yeah, I mean, because at this point, like I, I love the entrepreneurial work, right? As much, if not more, and I'm really like pretty interested. I'm, I'm, I love the idea, honestly, um, of twenty years you know, in the music business being a footnote to a new season of entrepreneurial work for me. Yeah. Cause I love it so much. I just love it. And, yeah. and, and I feel like I'm good at it. Like I, it's just, it's, I'm not good at many things. Right. I'm not, I mean, I'm not good at, I'm really, really not. I mean, that's one <laughs> of the reasons why I've been in the music business for 20 years yeah. is cause I'm, it's, it's, it's that or bust. I mean, I, yeah. I don't know. I'm not good at anything else. I can't do anything else. So I've just stuck around. I've got, I have friends who are so much better at what I do in, in music than I am, but they didn't stick with it. And they didn't, their careers weren't half as long as mine. And there's not, it's not because I'm better. They're way better. It's just because they're really good at other things. Yeah. So when, when it got hard and when, when there were different yeah. seasons of it or when it didn't get hard, but they just had other options, yeah. you know, they just had other things that they are great at that they could go do. And I just don't have that. But, but if you put me in a room full of, uh, artists and artist managers, um, I will go and hang out with the artist managers. Mm. I'm not wired like your typical mm. artist. I'm not your typical arts personality. I'm not abstract and poetic. I'm, I mean, I'm hyper rational analytical. Yeah. I mean, to a hyper detail to, yeah. a, to an absolute point of, you know, you know, where it's too much. Yeah. And which is part of my perspective, part of what's gone into the records I've made and how I've made them. But I, I really feel like, um, something's kind of opened up some like spending the kind of time I've spent on noise trade in the last year. Yeah. Um, having an opportunity to really get in there and find out if I can do it and to yeah. really stretch my work some muscles. And it's, man, I like, I really love the work. It feels as much like creative work to me as writing and performing music does. Yeah. And 
Um, and the thing is, like, music has been there. It's always been there. I've done it since I was, you know, six or seven years old. It's all I've ever done. Yeah. And it'll always be there. It's part of me. And I've done it for all these years professionally. I want to take a, I want to take a little time and I want to explore this. Yeah. I want to explore um, and see if I can apply the same creativity to the business that I have applied to the making and creating of yeah. content for all these years. Well, that's what I'm saying. Do you see this as just a break or this is a shift or you don't know? I feel like maybe I don't know because I don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know and cannot control anything. Yeah. Um, so I've never known what was around any corner. I've never, but for right now, this is what you're, but for right now I am very intentionally like right focused. This is a time period you would typically be touring your last album, you know, and you're not doing that and you decided to do this instead. So at least I've made an intentional professional shift. I have, you know, even made some changes with some of my business relationships to take pressure off so I can focus on this and not have people expecting anything from me for a while. Um, I will continue. I love playing shows. It's really fun. Yeah. It's easy for me and it's fun. I really like doing it. Um, I might get back out and do some, I mean, I love playing house shows. That's kind of my favorite thing. Yeah. And, uh, I might get back out and do some of that and, you know, maybe before the end of the year. And, uh, and that sounds like fun, like just off the radar, totally off the grid. Yeah. Just, just book some things here and there and just pop into somebody's house and play for 50 or 60 people and then kind of pop out. Yeah. I mean, things like that sounds really fun just to keep me, keep those muscles moving. Sure. Um, I'll probably, um, I'll probably start working on a record pretty soon. I don't know if it's a record I will release. Yeah. I don't know anything. I just know that I'll be, I'll do it because now just like my entrepreneurial business work used to be for me when I was full time in music, I needed, I looked forward to that time work, you know, looking at and working on noise trade with my friends because it was so different than what I was doing in music. I'm now starting to feel that itch come back, that craving, like I need to spend some time in front of my laptop, like, you know, exploring and tinkering, making, making some things. And, and, and I think the way I'm kind of dipping my toe into it right now is I've got some friends. Um, not a lot of people know this, but like I, my favorite thing to do is remix work. Mm -hmm. Um, like, like electronic remix type work Mm -hmm. programming. Like that's my favorite thing to do. And if I could do one thing and not have to make any money at it, but I could choose, that's what I would be doing. And I've done remix albums for a handful of artists and I've done, you know, a few remix, I've done remix projects and I love doing it. Um, And for me, it's less remixing and more like stripping everything away but a vocal and just reimagining the whole track. Yeah. Well, a whole new thing. Um, And it often is very programmy because that's what I love. Those are the sounds I love. But, um, and... So I think definitely before the end of the year, I'm going to do some remix work for some yeah. friends. It might be heavily collaborative and maybe have my name on it. Mm-hmm. It might just be stuff I do and just to kind of scratch the creative itch a little bit. Yeah. But I'm going to find my way back into it. Um, but I think there will be, I think this does represent for me a fundamental shift. Yeah. That I, I don't think I'll ever go back into doing it the way I've done it for the last 20 years. Cause I've been on a major label. I've never not been on a major label in my, in my career. Yeah. And, and I know I've run my career very much like an independent. It looks like an independent career because the moves I've managed to make, but I've always been on major labels. Yeah. Always my whole career. And I've never put out an independent album ever. Hmm. Um, I've never done it independently. And although it looks that way, yeah. um, that's just been smoke and mirrors. And so, um, that would be my next move. You know, like if I, well, they have given you a lot of freedom. They've given me a tremendous amount of freedom more than would seem typical, much more. And so that really speaks more to the, the tremendous support that I've received 
from the labels that I've been on. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, that's definitely the, the the story is about them supporting me against a lot of odds. Right. Um, being tolerant of me, but but you know, because I want to be able to focus at least for a few more years on on the business side, on entrepreneurial yeah. type things, even beyond noise trade. Um, cause I'm going to spend a couple of years working on noise trade. We've got some yeah. big things. We've got a very ambitious year next year coming up. We've, you know, it's, and I'm, I'm super excited to see that through. Um, but companies like ours don't, you know, we're not Ford motors. We're not, you don't, you know, this, we're not going to be doing this in 20 years yeah. running this company. You know, that we, there's a, there's a, there's a lifespan, there's a peak value. There, there are, Thing, you know, and yeah, and, well, it's and, internet stuff. And, and, I mean, and, and, you, you know, you you exit companies like this. Yeah. You eventually do. Yeah. Um. But I. But 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 I, I have the feeling. Um. I won't dive right back into music at that point. I'll probably want to go start something else. Do something um, different. Another company, maybe. You know, yeah. I've got a lot of ideas. Um. Um. And since I'm still a blue collar artist, I can still get in there. Um. I can test it myself. Yeah. Um, just like just that's how Noise Trade Noise Trade was was born. You know, I was I gave away a record, had a it changed my career. Gave away a record for Dad, I changed my career, and then we just you know, and then it was like two years spent trying to aggregate it to yeah. to to facilitate, facilitate anybody doing it because what a great experience it was for me. So I've got some other ideas like that, but the point is, I think in order to be able to focus my time on that kind of work, I'm going to have to whatever music whatever professional music stuff I do is going to have to be on a different kind of level. Yeah. I don't see myself really touring to the extent that I have in past years. I mean, yeah. I see it being, you know, I mean, I'll still do it. I love doing it. I'm so I'll always get out and play shows just for fun. If yeah. anybody will come, I mean, I'll still do it. Um, and I'll definitely still put out records, but I'll put them out independently. I'll, I'll just, I'll sneak them out. And if yeah. people want to, but here's the thing, like there's an, there's another piece to this that, like I said, I don't, I would not want a career that is, that is um, that is predicated on my having to continue to put out records like my first or my last, like she must have shot right. me free or yeah. like I was wrong. That's not that's not what I love. I mean, I love the content, I love the words on those records, but I don't want to. I don't want to keep. That's not a language I'm in love with. Yeah, uh, broadly, I don't. I don't love making didactic records about spirituality. Yeah, I really don't. Um, but what's interesting and, to me is that I feel like. Had you decided to do that, I mean, mm -hmm. I feel like with She Must and Shago Free, mm -hmm. if you had just decided this is who I'm going to be, mm -hmm. like you said with a Coldplay, I'm going to make these records sure. that sound like this, um, I think you could have had a um, a long and successful career doing that because Maybe. you had a huge... I, I'm all, I've always been curious about is, your I wonder, audience. I wonder how happy I would have been by I don't, the end. Yeah, I don't think you would have been happy with it at all. Because there's, no, there's nothing worse than <laughs> but, getting famous for doing something you don't exactly. like. Exactly. But I'm just saying, I've always been curious I'd, I'd about... I'd rather fail... Yeah. At trusting my instincts completely, yeah. than succeed at compromising them. Yeah. So, th so, but you're right about that. I mean, I, I just, and, and it's, and, and it's not. I'm, I mean, I'm not, um, I'm not falsely humble. I, I, I think I'm good at distilling, um, and disrupting something about, um, my experience of spirituality. Like, yeah. Well, I, I like I'm. I I feel comfortable doing it. Yeah. And I don't and I think I'm I think I'm good at it. Like yeah. I I think I can look at my experience of spirituality in my community, my friends, western culture. I can see things that um feel like need to be drawn out and talked about. And yeah. and and I don't mind and actually like and feel like I'm pretty good at distilling that into disruptive kind of language and something that'll kind of stir people around. I'm I don't think I'm not good at it. Yeah. Um and I do there there's something about that that I like. It's just not my favorite 
thing. And I'm starting now. I'm starting to sound like a Louis C.K. bit. But it's, <laughs> but it's not my favorite. It only meets 99 of my criteria. It's not my favorite thing. It, it, it's it's just not the thing I feel like. Ultimately, I'm. I think maybe it's just comfort. I'm not comfortable. Yeah. Um, being doing that kind of work. Sure. I'm just like like because I feel like it's it's self alienating. It just it's it. I, I don't want to make records for just one little group of people. Right. Um, and that's what I was saying. I've always been curious about your audience. Like mm-hmm. what, I don't know if you even know this, but what, where, where like the diversity is in your audience, because I feel like you have some people like when she must and shall go free came out, you probably got a group of very theologically minded, mm-hmm. you know, the new Calvin's and new reformed, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, that was all kind of blowing up. Then you probably got that group. Mm-hmm. And then, from all the history with Cademans, you've got like more generic CCM fans, mm-hmm. and then um, and then with all the 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 new stuff that's happened since then, I feel like you've probably uh, got an entirely different audience mm-hmm. over here. And do you find it difficult to, or do you even try to speak to all of them, or are you just you're you're not you're not aim you're not aiming what you're saying at any one particular you know this is just what you've got to say and whoever yeah. whoever it hits it hits you know? yeah I'm not trying to say anything to anybody yeah I'm really not like I don't have any kind of agenda that way yeah I'm I'm not and 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 it constrains the art like for me to say okay I'm gonna try to intentionally say this to that group right well now I've already put these narrow guardrails all around I mean and how how can I now trust my creative instincts like if I've already put all this condition on it but that internally is, that's some of like you said she must not free was an album for the church aimed at the church with specific it, things you wanted to say that, to the church. that's true but it, it happened to be yeah i didn't go to make that like intentionally it was just what i had in me to make right it was just like after years of touring the cademans and being in these back hallways of all these churches and all over the country especially a lot in the south yeah i just saw these glaring issues and i was like I've been wanting to write about this and kind of draw this out and explore it for a long time. And I didn't feel like I could do it in Cademans because the stakes were too high. The platform was too high. But now that I'm on the ground and alone and it's only staked on my own reputation, I can finally engage this and I can finally, you know. Uh, well, I guess we all bring our own interpretations to different mm-hmm. artists' work. Like I interpret your albums differently than another person does. But sure. it certainly seems like listening, you know, to, to you know, all of your records that – um you are often talking to um, or you're speaking to issues that are, are um, uh, issues within the circles that I mm-hmm. run, you know, which are, which is, well, which are typically, which, which maybe means we just have, you and me just might happen to have a lot in common <laughs> maybe. Um, because I yeah. talked to a lot of other people who feel the opposite of that with yeah. my records. They're, they just don't understand what the hell I'm Well, I guess about. what I'm trying to say is, is like um, your albums have been, um, kind of right there along the way with me over the last 10 years, um, feeling like, um, um, oh, he's thinking about this stuff too. I didn't know. Well, and maybe it's because it's the same Western Christian culture that we're both looking at. Yeah. And because for me, I just, I I mean, I've said this a lot of times, but I think it's helpful, is that the job of an artist, of any artist, not just a Christian artist, but the job of any artist is to look at the world and tell you what they see. That's, That's the job description. Look at the world, tell us what you see. And... So, so every year, um, you, you know, if I told you the stories of what was happening in my personal life and what my friends were going through and, and people I love and, and kind of me kind of hearing their perspectives on things and conversations, we long conversations 
over wine on the porch, you know, over all the, if I told you the story of the, the year previous to any one of my albums and I just took them all out of context and I said, okay, well, here's this one year and here's what happened. Here's my happening to my friends. Here's, and I told you all about what was happening. You'd be able to say, oh, that, that's gotta be the year before you made Ringing Bell. Oh, that's gotta be the year before you made Stockholm. Right. That's gotta be the year before you made Mockingbird. You'd be able to pick it out because I, I mean, I'm just, I'm looking at the world. I'm telling you what I see and both I and the world am changing constantly. Yeah. Both me, the grid through which I'm looking, me, I'm changing and the world is shifting all the time. So it's hard to predict what's going to come up next. Sure. I remember when I, yeah. when I started writing for Stockholm syndrome, I remember literally maybe out loud to myself saying, Oh man, seriously, is this where it's about to go? <laughs> is this really what I'm about to do? As like yeah, no I did not see it coming. It. Like yeah. I was like, am I really about to make a record about this stuff? Like, Oh man, I'm just, I'm either about to, I mean, I, this might be where I go out in a blaze of glory. And, um, so it's and funny that, that and you and haven't though. And that, um, that is actually in a way you've, uh, um, you're not the only one doing that, you know? I yeah. mean, it's, those issues are, um, issues that have continued to get bigger and bigger. Yeah. Then. Yeah. Well, and you know, and so I, and so for me, you know, I think since I'm just looking at, I mean, you know, we're all we're all looking at culture from different perspectives. So yeah. you're looking at it from where you are through your grid. I'm looking at it from where I'm through mine. But the the few people who have really engaged deeply with me or stuck with me are those who probably resonate because they, as we're all looking at one thing, we're seeing it in a similar way. Yeah. Um, but then there's a lot of other people out there who are looking at the same things we're looking at. They just have a totally different reaction to it. Yeah. They have a totally different instinct, totally different. And so they don't resonate with what I'm saying or, 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 or my interpretation of what I'm seeing because they're just really super, super different than me. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, they're just not going to buy my records. They're not coming to my shows. And that's why I am a niche artist. Yeah. I'm a niche, 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 niche artist. And that's why. But, um, but there's always going to be those people who just resonate because, you know, we see it in a similar way, but we're all looking at the same. And I think that's why the, 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 the thing you're describing the, that arc where, you know, the records have kind of shown up over the years. Cause I've heard that from, from people mm-hmm. is like, and then I started going through this and then that record was there. And then, and then I, and then I was grappling with this and that record was there. Yeah. And, and I think it's just because we probably there it's, it's no coincidence that we're standing there having that conversation. You, you have found your, we have found our way to each other somehow. Yeah. And, you know, I, I kind of, ra- I kind of plant my flag, which sure. is the, the public, the, the art, you know, the public thing or the, whatever the, yeah. the I'm putting out into the, and, uh, and, uh, and then people see it and they kind of come and towards it and kind of huddle around it. And mm-hmm. they, and I'm there holding on to the, you know, to the flag and everyone starts to huddle around and we all start talking and realize, wow, like we all saw this at the same time. Yeah. And, uh, and it's no coincidence that then we all wind up standing there having that conversation and cause the people who broke off from me and, um, who didn't, who got to that one point in their lives and yeah. that record came out and they were like, whoa, 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 <laughs> I'm not down with that. And right. I, cause I've heard some of that too. Yeah. I've run into people and they've said, yeah, boy, I, I was really, I was really into it. And then Mockingbird came out and boy, you really lost me. Yeah. And maybe then I came back on a few records later on something, but, but, um, you know, See, th- that's like, going to happen. That's going to happen. Yeah. And, I, I feel like I, I do uh, uh, resonate with you with the the contrarian kind of like I um, when you just said that about someone saying that like I felt this little bit of uh, joy almost like yeah. <laughs> like uh, for some reason I just I like the, I, I, there's some part of me that feels uh, great when people are uncomfortable you know right. <clears throat> well and I don't know what that is but, and yeah. but, but so I think the thing is and this is coming this is wrapping this up nicely because for me I think 
that being part of my ethic is is wanting to go after that type of subject matter, being yeah. very tolerant of of misunderstand of being misunderstood and even being disliked and having a high tolerance for that, even maybe a a, a little perverse pleasure in it. <laughs> um, that being the case, what happens over a long time is my audience gets more selective and smaller. Yeah. And it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. It doesn't grow. It actually gets smaller. I mean, I started with the biggest audience I was ever going to have. Yeah. And it's gotten smaller and smaller. Now, the people who are close now or who are huddled up now are the people for, that can say, man, it's fewer people because it's just improbable that it's going to be a lot of people. Yeah. It's just fewer people who can say, and then that record came out and that's right where I was. And then that record came out and that's right where I was. And then somebody says, and then that one came out and that's where you lost me. Okay, well, then I lost that person. So <laughs> right. it's one fewer person, people. And then it just gets smaller and smaller. And that's kind of the career I've built. That's, yeah. kind, of, that's kind of what I do um, unless I want to start making compromises to sell more records. And I know how to do that. I just don't want to. Because again, that's not the career I want. I'd rather not do it yeah. than have to do it to sustain it that way. And so part of me kind of realized, this speaks to other questions you've asked, part of me realized at one point Either I start making those compromises to keep myself in this job, and I'm tenacious, and I'll do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, you don't, if you're not careful, I will do it because I want to survive. Do you want to live or do you want to die? I want to live. But what I realized was if the only choice, if, my, if I'm saying I want to live, if the only way to accomplish that is to start making compromises on the actual art in mm-hmm. order to draw more people and sell more records and get more people to like and pay attention to me yeah. – I'm not that that was just turned out to be a, a line I couldn't cro- I just couldn't cross I just couldn't do it and so I think it was it was it happened to coincide with a moment where there was a real opportunity and a real n- desire in me to want to take a break mm-hmm. step away from music step more into the entrepreneurial role that I've carved out for myself yeah. and like um and th- th- that happened all at the same time because it was also part of me thinking I if I can't make this work like financially structurally to make the records I wish to make and have that be a support for me like and for that to make a living me be able to make a living making the records I want to make if it was only you can make a living but you have to rec- make records you don't want to make yeah you have to compromise and make different records in order to sustain your living or you can t- continue to make the record you want to make but your audience is going to keep getting smaller more deeply supportive and resonant but smaller but maybe you're not going to be able to make a living. Okay, well, how do I solve that problem? What's my yeah. alternative? Compromises on one side. What's on the other side? Well, I subsidize my ability to continue making the records I want to make and not yeah. have to m- put the burden of my living on it. Yeah. And so that was also part of this great synergy, this great thing that happened with Noise Trade is, so now I'm going to go over here and do something I love that's, again, a great express. It's still expressing my personality. It's a great disruption in 20 years of making my living a certain way. Yeah. It's also a, a reaction to the market that, for me right now, is a hard thing to navigate because I'm, the records I want to make are not records that people, that most people, enough people maybe want to buy. Yeah. Um, which is not to say there's not still an audience there. So for me, it's like, okay, well, then I'm going to go make my living um, doing uh, this other creative work. Yeah. Um, and that will subsidize my ability to continue making records I want to make and it won't matter if anybody buys them. Yeah. So if no, as long as noise trade is a great living for me, which it is, as long as I can make good money doing entrepreneurial work, which I can, um, then basically that is just, 
I become my own uh, my own patron, yeah. you know, and then that is what funds my ability to make exactly the records I want to make to distribute them independently. And I don't care if anybody buys them. I really don't. I've yeah. never, ha- I never have. It's always been a mystery that anybody has. So yeah. for those people who are still there, for those people who are like, and then that record came, and then that record came, and then this part of my story happened, and that record came. For those people, I'm going to keep making records. Yeah. Um, but I, I know that I'm not going to be making records. Um, for everybody. And I think maybe I finally hit that threshold. It happened to coincide with this moment where I was ready to make a jump, yeah. make a change. Um, um, I think I finally hit that threshold where I, where the minimum amount of records that I will likely sell, like my crowd, my people, <laughs> my res, my, tri- my tribe yeah. is just small enough now that I can't sustain my career mm. on only those people. Mm. And I don't want more of them. I yeah. want exactly who's there. Like I said, I'm not making records for anybody. So I'm going to keep, I want I need to be able to keep making the records that are instinctive for me and then just see who shows up. Yeah. And maybe some unexpected turn will happen at some point and I'll make a record that unbeknownst to me or anybody else will be so resonant that maybe a lot of pe- people will show up again. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't, I don't want um, to have to depend on that in order to dictate for me whether or not I can even do it. Yeah, I want to be able to continue making records, the records I know are important for me to make, looking at the world, telling you what I see, and then seeing who shows up, for whom is it resonant, that's who I'm doing it for. I need to be able to make sure I can continue staying in a position to do that and making sure no one can stop me. Yeah, And so so I need to subsidize that work. And that's a, another great um, part of this story of this shift for me into more entrepreneurial work yeah, because I love it and it's going to pay for my ability to continue making records that hopefully you will resonate with. Yeah. That's it. You know? Yeah. So it's all happening at once. It all happened. And I, I kind of had a moment where I glimpsed all that and I was like, okay, I know for sure this is next. Right. I know this is the, this is, these are the coordinates that are, this is the path and, um, and, and it's what I need to do. And and I love it. I'm choosing it. Yeah. Um, it's the right moment for all this for me. Yeah. You know, so well thanks for talking to me man a pleasure yeah i uh i'm nothing if not a loud mouth yeah well that's uh, i I think that's why people like you yeah well some people well (laughs) the people that matter (laughs) so you say well thanks yeah pleasure All right, well, that's it. That's the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Derek Webb for coming on the show. Really enjoyed talking to him. Uh, I learned so much from that conversation. I I really, (laughs) I recorded that several months ago, and I really enjoyed listening back to it in preparation for releasing it. It was just a great conversation. So thanks, Derek. And it was my first, uh, first time recording in person with anyone, which was definitely an interesting experience. I hope to do more of that as they're is opportunity. So, as I said, a couple of reminders. Go to avclark.com slash contest. It's only got a couple more days. It ends on the 31st. Be a part of that. Uh, it'll take you a couple minutes to leave me a rating and review and subscribe and do the couple things you need to do and, and win some cool stuff. And also, if you're into podcasting want to learn more about that, then you can go to avclark.com slash course. I'm still doing the pre-sale. You can get on that, get in on that, while it is still quite inexpensive. So do that if you're interested. You can follow along on Twitter at avclark, Facebook, all the socials, pretty much everywhere. 
Be sure to check out Derek Webb and his uh, the stuff he's working on, his albums. Really, really has meant a lot to me over the years. So thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.